Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. I'm the CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors and also the chapter president of the Entrepreneurs Organization of Washington, DC. Today's guest is a great leader of teams of all sizes. She's a former broadcast journalist and producer with 20 years of experience in media, the co-founder of The Nail Saloon, Andrea Vieira. Welcome. Hey, Greg, good to be here. It's awesome to have you on our show. Thanks for making the time. I'm really excited to chat to chat with you. Yeah, we'll, we love jumping into leadership topics. And my favorite question to ask my guests is, what are some misconceptions around leadership? I think one of, there are many for sure, but um, one of the big misconceptions I would say is that, you know, when you are um, at the top of an organization, people tend to equate that with you're not really having a boss. And I think that when you're at the top of your organization, you don't have one boss, you have many bosses. You have your team, which ultimately, um, you know, you, 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 are, you work in service of them. You have your um, clients, uh, your community in the case of, of my business. So you're really accountable to a lot of people. And I think people sometimes think, oh, when I'm the boss, I'll get to do exactly as I want. And that's not entirely true, sadly, um, as I have learned over the past seven years. Yeah, that, that is absolutely true. I'd be cur I'm curious over your experience, when did that reality set in for you, you know, on your entrepreneurial journey, realizing that running a business and operating a business, it's not, you've got, to your point, you've got many bosses, not just yourself. When, did, when in your process did that kick in? You know, I, I tell my television friends um, who, who are still in the business um, that television is a great school for entrepreneurship. Um, because I, I always joke that, you know, you've never turned on the TV and the thing that you were supposed to be watching wasn't on. Like, there is no moment where you, like, turned it on. I mean, this is also more for the before times when things weren't always recorded and streamed and not played live. But when there was live TV, essentially, you could expect that at 6 o'clock, the news would be on, or at 8 o'clock, your favorite sitcom would be on. So there's sort of a, a, a do or die um, mentality in TV that prepares you for entrepreneurship. And ultimately you're working in service of, um, of, a, of a show, of a thing. And I always like to say that the, the nail saloon is really the boss of me. Um, but I think I, I realized that shortly after we signed the lease for the first location, you know, because you suddenly think, okay, this is a really big responsibility. I'm committing myself financially to the next you know, 10 years of my life. If this goes belly up, I'm in trouble. Um, and so you're now working in service of that. And you kind of can't really take your foot off the off the gas. You know, you have to, um, to just keep moving forward with a project. And I think there are many steps that I think this has been, you know, I've been reminded that, that, that I am not the boss of me, that my business is the boss of me. Um, and I'm really sure the boss of the business, but what does that really mean? Um, it actually means that you're working in service of it 
right? And I've been reading a lot about servant leadership um, lately and what it means to, to be a leader who, you know, is there in a way not to just command, but to, to uh, enable um, and to help give your teams the tools they need to succeed. Um, and I've been, that's one of the skills that I'm trying to, to work on. I've learned from a lot of good people along the way um, in my life. I've had bosses since I was a very um, young. My first job was, I was 14 years old and I worked at Mrs. Fields Cookies. And um, I remember my boss then. And I remember my boss at the Gap later who I worked for for six years. I worked um, throughout all of college and two years of high school. And um, and I take, you know, you, you collect the lessons and, and you, you take them with you. And I think the best kind of leader is the one that realizes that it's much bigger than themselves, right? You're trying to put forth a, a vision and you need people to do it with you. You can't, and TV, back to TV is a great school for that. There's no anything that is produced by just one person, soup to nuts. It's a, it's, it's a really collaborative space and I'm really grateful even though I left it willingly and, and I'm glad to have left it behind because boy, is it a, is it a slog. It's, it's a grind really. Um, it's taught me quite a lot. I love the way you framed you're in the service of whatever your organization is. Um, it's also daunting, right? I mean, it's it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I'm curious if you have any tips or tricks to sort of managing the intensity with the rest of your life, right? So, so it doesn't just consume you every single day of every single moment. Have you figured out a way or making progress towards sort of that, that balance that we all dream of? Not at all. <laughs> I love tips. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's something I'm very, very much striving for. I was uh, just at a retreat recently with um, a cohort of uh, EO members, and and that was definitely my Achilles heel, and is is the is the quest for balance. I do think a couple of things, though, I have been able to implement in my life um, as as, a, as an as an entrepreneur and as the owner of a business. Um, in terms of trying to put some guardrails around around my schedule and my day. Um, I, there are certain things that I don't do after a certain hour because they cause anxiety or they cause stress or they're going to affect my whole night. So after a certain hour, I joke, no Yelp after dark. Like once it's dark out, no reviews get looked at because you can really have, uh, you know, if somebody experiences, has a bad experience at the nail saloon, I take it very personally and I get quite affected by it. So um, but I also know that I have to do a series of things to try to right that wrong, right? Or understand what, um, what somebody is telling me and, and, and kind of take the opportunity to learn from what, from the information I'm being given. But I don't do that um, when I can't actively solve it. Um, I don't do that at nine at night when I'm not going to call a technician or call a manager or call a client to have a discussion. I only do that when I can actually look at things and say, okay, it's now morning, it's daytime, the sun is out, I can face this, I've had a cup of coffee, let's do it. Um, so I definitely try to put some guardrails. There does come a point in my day that I stop checking my email. I just, you know, I put a stop on it and I say, I don't care how much is, is coming my way, I'm not addressing it now. My team knows that they can reach me via text and I always, um, I always, you know, when I'm out at dinner, I always have the disclaimer, I'm sorry until the nail saloon closes, my phone is on facing up on the on the dinner table. And I, I hate that I do that, but I do want to be available to my team in case there's something that they can't solve on their own, just because I, 
I don't want to, them to feel ever that they're alone. You know, they want, I want them to feel supported. Um, and I think that's part of trying to be a better servant leader. Um, and that goes for also when I'm on vacation. If I'm away, I, I commit to my general manager, who is my right hand and left hand. I commit to her that my phone will always be within reach. And I was recently away for quite a bit of time. And she was, you know, holding the fort, but she knew that she had access to me for an emergency. And we did have a situation where she needed to reach out to me. And I was in the middle of a very fun and indulgent afternoon lazy lunch. And I got up and I left the table and I was with her for an hour on the phone. So um, there are things in, that you do to sort of both delegate, but also to set some boundaries. Um, and then I think, you know, the rest is just, I think all of us experience this. Everybody's so busy, you know, everybody's so busy. The demands for our time are pretty great. Um, and I think I struggle like everybody else. I read a lot of, you know, management articles and I, 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 I'm a very, you know, um, uh, very, uh, I subscribe and use with a lot of intention the Harvard Business Review site. I read a lot of their articles about management and time management and how to lead people. And you know, you try to learn and know that you don't have all the answers. And that's comforting when you meet other entrepreneurs is that everybody's a little bit flying semi-blind <laughs> and also, you know, trying to sort things out as, as they go. Yeah, that's awesome. And Many of us are flying very, very blind, but we just sort of fake it as the days move on. I wanted to dig into a point that you made about Yelp and its counterpart, Glassdoor. Um, you know, many guests on our show and, and many people in our audience run businesses that are impacted by the reviews on Yelp or Glassdoor. In fact, my previous business, from an employee perspective, had some not nice things posted on, on Glassdoor. Um, I'm curious if you have a process of hand, how you handle those reviews. Obviously, you said no Yelp after dark, which is a great guardrail. How about during the daytime? Do you have a process of, of handling those reviews? I do. Um, I, I, I don't have notifications on my phone in general for, for anything, not for breaking news, not for, I have it for texts, I have it for WhatsApps. Otherwise, I do not, my, my phone doesn't, doesn't, sort of chime at me all day long because I think otherwise I would have a hard time doing anything else other than managing my phone. But when I do commit to time for checking, so I don't know what's coming, you know, and Yelp actually um, has a setting that you can, and Google reviews and all these other reviews that they can tell you, you've just gotten a new review, all of those are off. So I do, I respond to reviews when I'm in the right state of mind to do it, not when the reviewer decides to leave a review. Um, fortunately, we have a pretty good rating um, across the platforms um, that review us, but we do get bad reviews. Um, and when we do get bad reviews, I, I, you know, I block off some time on my schedule where it's in, uninterrupted. And I, I kind of take two beats to read every review that I get. Look, and I'm obviously talking about the negative reviews. The positive ones are really nice and easy to handle. And I do respond to all of those as well and pass the feedback onto the team. But when I do get a negative review, I allow myself the moment to just sort of be upset and angry or sad or frustrated, either with a client or with my team. Honestly, sometimes I see a review and I'm like, you're not being fair. But then I kind of try to take a beat and read it again. And I try to read it really from the side of the person writing it. And I think ultimately people want to be heard, right? And I, that doesn't mean that they sometimes don't go off you know, kilter, like you said, in your experience that people really can do a lot of damage. And I think what people don't realize is that 
behind every business is a lot of work and a lot of decision making and a lot of people that are just like you and I that um, uh, just like you and me, I should say, who are working to to put something together and it, it's hard work, right? And it's every day and it's and you really try to get 100%, but everybody has a bad day at work. And when people in my business have a bad day at work, that sometimes affects somebody and then they leave us a bad review. Um, so once I, I, I hear out the client in a way that I try to put myself in their shoes, I try to use, you know, journalism comes in handy here. I try to do a little bit more digging um, as to what they um, are actually saying behind those words. And then I go to my team and I, I have a, a round up the team to with, with my manager and with the people involved. We find out who the client is, if we're able to, if their Yelp name matches their the regular um, their regular the name they use to book as a client. And we, you know, we try to do a little investigative work. And what I commit to doing with every reviewer is engaging them in conversation. And not because I want them to update the review, I actually don't. I never ask for it, nor would I, nor do I actually care if they update it. I mean, I'm grateful when they do, but if they don't, it's not something I even look back on. But I do want to solve the thing that they are complaining about when it's fair. You know, sometimes nail polish just chips, right? And so people say that's the cause of a bad manicure. Well, no, not always. And I sometimes feel a little ridiculous to be, to be perfectly honest, dealing with somebody being distraught over nail polish, having chipped when the world is the way the world is, you know, when we have like famine and war, you know? Um, but I also then have to remember that people just want to be heard. And I, I think that my job is to just hold, a, hold space for them for that in, in, the, in the context of the nail saloon, right? And maybe I'm going to take their frustration out um, by just hearing them and validating what they're saying and or explaining. And sometimes I stand my ground and I say, look, this isn't fair. I try not to do that publicly because I don't think that I don't want to put anybody on blast and make things worse. But I do ask people to email me directly once they review us negatively on Yelp to have a discussion. And sometimes I can't help them. And I tell them. And sometimes I say, look, we just messed up. And sometimes they say, we didn't mess up. And I think this is kind of an unreasonable ask. And so it's a case-by-case -case basis, but it's really... I do follow a step of one, put myself in the right mindset to receive it, two, try to put myself in their shoes, and three, deal with each person individually as best as I can. And as, I'm not trying to prove to anybody that we're perfect. Um, I'm trying to remind them often though that we're human. And I don't get upset when my team makes mistakes. I, my team makes mistakes, as do I, P.S. Like all the time, all the time. And I think part of maybe being a good leader is realizing that yeah, perfectionism is not really a thing that you can attain. We we strive for a perfect experience, but we we not always we're not always able to hit it. That's right. That's right. Um, you said it so beautifully. People want to be heard, and whichever platform or stage that they're standing on. To your point, you need we need to give them their space, recognize what they're having wanting to say, and then to your point again, responding accordingly. Um, but let me just say back. one thing. Oh, yeah, right. That's also not to say that it's become really easy to stand behind a keyboard and be a bully, right? And I, I we see that. We see it on social media all the time. Um, so I don't want to discount the fact that people do operate in bad faith sometimes, you know, um, when, like you said, in your experience, and I've seen it with other business owners, and I've seen it with us too. Um, so it's not to say like, oh, everybody can just come and say what they want and tear us down. 
people sometimes are not, you know, their most honest selves, you know? So I try to act in, in I try to defer to the, you know, I would hope 90% who are being honest and who are, and you can usually tell by their tone, you know? If people are being actually constructive in their feedback, that's one thing. If people are just out for blood, it's like, really? It's kind of disappointing. That's very, very well said. So I was gonna jump back to a, a topic that you brought up around servant leadership. And it sounded as if that's a newer discovery for you. Talk to me about your discovery of servant, because I'm a, I'm a huge fan and believer in servant leadership. And it's one of the reasons why we're involved in this organization. Um, but talk to me about your discovery of servant leadership and what you're reading at the moment. Um, so I actually um, did an exercise about a year ago. I would say it was in July of 2021. As things were really ramping up in my business and our structure, uh, the structure of the business had changed. Um, I did an exercise that um, that I was made to in business school way back in the day. That I remembered it and I thought I remember I did this exercise once. So I'm going to do it again, and it was an exercise of listing the best qualities in all the managers that I remember having and the worst qualities in all the managers I remember having. And I went back, I mean, I went back to Sharon at Mrs. Fields Cookies when I was 14, going to Nancy at The Gap, um, who I just reached out to on LinkedIn. By the way, Nancy, if you're there, reach back out. I really want to have lunch. Who was such? She was such an influence in my life. I, I didn't realize it fully until much later. Um, and I went, I went, you know, just down the list of the bosses I had, and I kept thinking, what were the best things about them? And what were the things about them that I didn't really necessarily jive with? And all of them had in common a couple of things, the ones, the good characteristics. They all were people who um, gave of themselves. They all were people who had empathy as sort of a guiding principle. Um, and, and when I say, you know, I want to listen to um, our clients on, on social media, I also want to listen to my team. You know, and that's sometimes hard too, because the team can also just kind of like, you know, you jump in the water and all that, the, they just kind of attack you at times and they just want answers and things. And I get that, you know, and I, we try to put guardrails for that too, because otherwise I used to joke, I can't walk into the nail saloon and it's a deluge of things and issues and ideas. And so we have systems in place now to kind of help triage that so we can get to things faster and give solutions faster. Um, but I, I think in the last year, I would say that it's something that I've really been um, reading about more. And I think I was driven there by just the words, you know, Googling the words empathetic leader and why, why empathy matters in leadership. And then, you know, I subscribe to the Harvard Business Review um, library and I download articles from them probably twice a week. Um, and just reading about what kind of, you know, leader makes a leader that has people want to follow them. And I, you know, I had a professor in college, um, a Latin American studies professor from Argentina, wonderful, wonderful man. He was the Dean of the Spanish department at the University of Maryland. I was a journalism student, but I really liked this class and I took it because it was, it was, it was, you know, just culturally enriching. And I remember talking to friends who were in the class with me, like, we all want to do a good job for this for this professor because he's so great. He's so cool. He's so kind. He's so thoughtful. He he hears us. He sees us. And and he made the list too of the people that I was kind of going back in my in my sort of inventory of who had I'd come across um, in people in leadership positions. Obviously he was a professor and not and not a supervisor. But I think it's it's kind of when I began my journey of really kind of coining the phrase of how do we be 
how do we behave as servant leaders? And it's something I try to instill in my management team. Um, and, and it's something I try to instill um, in, 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 in the way that I operate on a, on a day to day. It's not always easy, but it's, no. it's, it's, it's definitely a frame that I have, um, you know, that I work, that I work through. Andre, you, you just mentioned instilling the servant leadership mindset within your team. How are, how are you doing that? So one of the things that we've been doing more and more recently is really building a culture around our management team. Um, and that means going to quarterly uh, dinners just to talk about, we, we definitely do a 10 minute, 20 minute work debrief, um, but then it's really just to become um, just to connect one another on a human level, because I also think that once you know somebody and you know what they're going through, you can um, be more forgiving or more understanding or know that this for them is harder than it is for somebody else, you know, because we're all individuals, right? As much as I want to um, scale the nail saloon and, and operationalize everything, like you can't operationalize without accounting for individual personalities. People do bring their personalities to work. And I don't want them not to. I actually say to my team, I want you to be more of who you are every day, not less of who you are every day. I don't need you to conform to the nail saloon way. I need you to bring your way and make sure that the nail saloon way can sort of be the jacket around who you are. But I want people to be who they are, right? And if they're shy, that's okay. They don't have to be loud. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty loud, right? And so I can't expect everything to be loud like me. The world would be insufferable if everybody was loud like me. Just let's just make that clear. Um, so I, I think we all come to the table as we are. And so we have done a couple of things. We're doing a lot more team building in the last year than we ever have. You know, we do um, quarterly trainings for the team that are off site. We rent nice office spaces. I mean, I the nail saloon has an office now um, in, in, a, in a great place in downtown DC, but, um, and the team comes to the office and we do trainings where we, you know, we do, um, we do quarterly meetings where we shut down the nail saloon to have meetings just to refresh processes. And we're not breaking a lot of news in these meetings, but it's kind of the, the repetition, right? And this is how we do things. And just to kind of almost a little bit like a pep rally of, you know, to, to so they understand what our culture is. And then I encourage my team I had a, a situation recently um, to, I encourage my team to listen more than sometimes talk. The other day um, I had one of my managers, um, you know, reach out to me with a pretty um, serious grievance about one of our technicians and I can understand her frustration. And I said to her, I feel you, I know you're frustrated. I would also be frustrated, but I don't think that just writing this person off is the way to go either. Like, let's listen in and let's, let's check in with them. So what this manager did was take the technician out to coffee. Just let's, let's meet for coffee and just talk. How's it going? What's going on in your life? And she learned quite a bit of things that were going on in this technician's life and they were able to find common ground. So, I mean, look, I'm, I'm obviously giving you the, the, the nuggets of when the team is a little bit kind of off, off, off mark. Usually our team is phenomenal and I'm nothing but grateful to our team. I, I send them love notes often, um, often. I send them love notes, really specific love notes. And I, um, I, 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 I try to reward them with spot bonuses and I try to reward them and, and specific um, reasons why they're getting that, you know, um, because I think positive feedback is just as important as the constructive kind. Um, and I try to be gracious and know that mistakes are going to be made. And I, and I do say that to them, you know, look, people 
make mistakes. They're coming here a lot. They come here five days a week. Of course, they're going to at one point not be their best selves. We got to sort of, you know, you can't, we have a job to do, yes. And they are who they are. And you can't just like blow past that as if it weren't happening. Like life is as it is. Like we can't, this isn't like some fake, like la la land where everybody's just like zombie, like at work. No, sometimes people are upset. And I think you have to address it. Absolutely. And I, I suspect your team feels it and appreciates your leadership style. Um, I would hope. It's hard to say. That's another thing, too. I try not to, uh, I try to fill my cup by knowing that they're happy, but I don't, I don't stop to, much, to ask too much what, what they really think of me because I don't know that I want to know the answer. They do treat me very well, though, so I can, I'm thrilled about that. Yeah, the, the, the truth can hurt sometimes. Yeah, yeah, um, I know that I want to know it. <laughs> let's step back a little bit in your career. Jumping from media and opening a nail saloon, walk us through that journey. Yeah, um, so I was uh, working out in Seattle uh, for a nonprofit, and I was doing communications for them, and I was, I was, I just felt like I needed something else in my life and I wasn't sure what it was. Um, I think it was maybe, you know, I had had a long career in big corporate sort of in big corporate brand name um, organizations. And I thought I kind of want to do things a little bit my way. Um, and at the time, um, uh, a dear friend and I would brainstorm, you know, what would we have as a business if we could open a business? And so one day I was getting my nails done um, in a bit of a rinky-dink salon. And um, I was like, what if this experience was perfected? You know, what if I didn't get polio from the tools that they're using? What if people weren't eating and giving me a pedicure? What if the TVs weren't really loud? What if, you know, nobody was speaking in a language I couldn't understand. Look, I'm a, English is not my first language and I get really self-conscious when I'm at a place where everybody's talking in a language that I can't understand. So that's one of the tenets of the nail saloon. You don't get to talk in a language your client doesn't speak. As a matter of fact, you should only be talking to your client. So you shouldn't be chit-chatting with your buddy. And if you are, do it in a language that your client understands so that they are sure that you're not talking about their feet, which sometimes people think they are, and they're usually not. Um, so once, um, you know, we brainstormed what that could look like, I said, that's it. And within three weeks, I was back in DC. I quit my job. Um, I quit that, my job that week. I have my count, the, the dates on the calendar of when I quit my job. I remember it was, it was like a Wednesday night. And then by the other um, Friday of the following week, I had quit my job. And I gave a two weeks notice and I said, I'm moving back to DC and I am going to make this business happen. And I had no idea what that would take. I mean, I, I really, it's kind of a miracle really <laughs> that it exists because you, when you're starting out, you're like, okay, so we'll rent it and we'll rent a space and we'll just put in some furniture and we'll open a bit. And it's like, that's, you're, I was so ill prepared really. I mean, nothing prepares you for it. I think until you have to actually go through the motions. But you learn, right? You learn and you do one foot in front of the other. And as I always say, it's an exercise in making really long lists. And the lists only get longer before they get shorter. You learn like, okay, I need to 
you know, form an LLC. How do I do that? And once you get to that portal on the website, you learn that you need to do three more things before that. And to do those three things, you need to do 10 more things. So you just have to kind of stay focused and keep going. And I think in many ways, I'm glad I didn't know what it would take because I think I might have hesitated, you know, um, even though I was maybe not very happy where I was working before, it was certainly easier than what I decided to embark on for sure, for sure. So I'm curious, the customer experience that the nail saloon provides, and I've been there, I've had my toes painted, and that's a whole other story. I love that, Greg. Um, yeah, and I've been to others prior, and I have to say your the experience in your saloon is completely different mm. and much more relaxing and engaging than where I've been prior visits. Um, that's clearly on purpose. But on day one, when you opened your first location, was that the concept or has that concept developed over time? You know, we haven't really steered too much from the the kind of the main tenets of how we work, right? And it's, I mean, maybe we've kind of articulated and then especially in this last year, we've been trying to really articulate what our company values are and and what our mission is and and really what we're setting out to do as we get ready to scale. Um, but one of the exercises that I did, and I recommend this a lot to people who are in, who are in public facing industry, is I went on a Yelp sleuthing of all um, manner of nail salons all around the country, Chicago, Honolulu, San Francisco, you know, El Paso. I just went on Yelp and I looked for nail salons in those towns, everywhere, big towns, small towns. Um, and I read what the negative review said. And I read what the positive review said. And I the, the, the comments are pretty standard, right? I mean, one of the things that, that, that we definitely wanted to do is make, have the cleanest nail salon in town because nail salons can get kind of icky, right? I mean, you're dealing with people's feet and you're dealing with people's cuticles and it's not like super appetizing, right? Um, so one of the things that I know that we wanted to be was exceptionally clean. Like that was, you know, which is why we're not an organic salon because we, we do bleach our towels. And until I can find a, a an equal, or we use hospital grade cleaners to, to wipe down our surfaces and those are not organic. And it's hard to find something that will remove like hepatitis and HIV from a surface in an organic formulation. I mean, vinegar won't do that, unfortunately, right? In a lot of these cases, we use sort of virus killing um, sprays, right? To, to get rid of, just to clean our surfaces way before COVID, by the way, this is one day one. Um, and so I think a couple of things were definitely part of our, what, what we've always wanted to do. We always want to serve people a beverage because I think it's, it's kind of like welcoming them into your home. You know, when somebody comes to your house, inevitably within the first five minutes, you say, can I, can I get you something to drink? That's just kind of a thing that I think a lot of people I, I don't have the, the data on this, but I would argue most cultures do that. They, when you walk into somebody's home, you're offered a beverage. So we're like, okay, we'd like to offer people a beverage. Um, and so I know that when you were there, I don't think we were serving drinks yet again, so we'll have to get oh, you back then. Um, so we offer people, we have all, all kinds of drinks, right, at the nail salon, not just alcoholic drinks, but we have all kinds of drinks. Um, and so we, we wanted people to also feel like they mattered. We didn't want you to walk in and have somebody yell at you from across the way 
you know, what kind of, what are you here for? We wanted you to be welcomed by a dedicated person at the front desk. And that's a complicated business model because we always outnumber the clients. We, we can have a full house at the nail salon. There will always be more of us than more than you. So business-wise, that's complicated, right? We always have somebody at the front desk. We have the technician that's dedicated to doing the service for each individual client. And we have a cleaning team that's there a lot of the time. So, um, and sometimes we have more than one person at the front desk, depending on how busy we are and the time of day. So certain things were always there. The language thing was a really big deal to me always. Um, we, you know, it's, it's all about being welcoming and treating people the way that you would want to be treated. So if you go to somebody's house, you expect people to be speaking in a language that you can understand. Um, and I say this as, again, somebody whose language, first language isn't English. Um, so that was always kind of, but we've tweaked, you know, we've made little tweaks along the way. Um, we had a nail technician actually recommend to us at the very beginning, you know, you guys should clean rings. Um, and said, oh, that's such a great idea. So we clean people's rings now. And um, so, you know, we take people's feedback release. We had a client once who said, we had sort of, you know, kind of bathroom grade paper towels for people to wash their hands after, after in the middle of their service. And she wrote us an email and I can probably find it that said, you know, you, you really should have, you know, regular towels there not. So we did. We thought that's a really good idea. So we take people's feedback seriously um, and we incorporate their ideas to make it feel more like, you know, um, like they do feel like it's a space where they belong. We've had members of the trans community give us feedback on how the language in our bathrooms was about not disposing um, menstrual products in the um, in the in the in the toilet. And we used to say feminine hygiene products. And we 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 had a client who was kind enough to kind of teach us some things. And we said this is this is makes perfect sense. We're going to change the signage. So, um, you know, we've had a lot of little kind of improvements to the client experience with the help of others. But I think the main tenets have always been, which is really treat people the way you want to be treated, treat them well, serve them. We're not here to take anything from you. We're here to serve you. We don't upsell at any stage of the game. I don't mind if you're here to get your polish change and you have your mustache out to here. We are not offering you a wax. We're just not. We're, that's not what we're doing. And it's one of the things that I used to hate. I would go get my nails done and the, and the technician inevitably would look at me and be like, Let's wax that upper lip. And I'm like, come on, that's so mean. I'm fine. You know? <laughs> that's awesome. That's all. So tell me a little bit about your background, you know, where you grew up, how you, we heard the story from Seattle to Washington, but let's go pre Seattle. Yeah. So I was born in Brazil. I was born in um, a city called Belo Horizonte in Brazil. Belo Horizonte would be the easier way to say it, to Englishize it. Um, it's a city in the mountains in Brazil in the south. Um, and it, it's a big city. It's a city of about 4 million. And I was born there. Um, I'm, you know, uh, uh, I have three brothers. I'm a, I might, I have, you know, 40 aunts and uncles, 20, 10 on each side, plus their spouses. So I've got a massive family. Um, my dad worked in public health. Um, his whole life. So we traveled quite a bit. Um, my first stop was the UK. I used to have a lovely British accent when I first got to the US because I had come from the UK. I don't know where that went and I'm kind of mad that it's gone. Um, I learned to read and write in English in the UK actually. Um, and back to Brazil and then here. Um, and I lived in Spain also uh, on two different occasions, which is where I learned to speak Spanish. Um, and, and the Spanish language is, is genuinely my first love. Like I, I love the Spanish language and I love Latin American culture. The, the, I love Brazilian culture, but I love Latin American culture outside of Brazil too. I have 
my circles are very Latin American here in DC even. Um, but I've lived in quite a few cities in the US. I've lived in Atlanta. Um, I worked for CNN actually, and I, I, I lived in Atlanta. I lived in New York. I, I moved to New York to work after 9-11 to cover um, the, the, the attacks. Um, I, um, yeah, I think nine cities is my total um, for, for continents, for, for countries, three continents. And I'm about to get, check this out, I'm about to get my Italian citizenship which I did not know I was eligible for. But um, in the fall of last year, one of my cousins who's living in Italy um, was chatting with a lawyer and it turns out that I can get an Italian passport through my great grandmother. So um, my cousins and I are all waiting for our, to become Italian citizens. So I feel like I can maybe claim, it feels a little bit like a poser, but I maybe I'm gonna claim that I'm Italian too at some point soon. <laughs> Do you speak Italian? I don't, but I'm taking classes. Got it. So I am Portuguese, Spanish, and English. Portuguese, that's it. Portuguese, Spanish, and English. And I'm trying very hard to learn Italian. I'm taking classes with an Italian instructor, and it's going sort of well. I'll let you know in, in a minute. <laughs> so, Andrea, um, how do people find you? We've got audience members curious about finding you on social media. LinkedIn, what's your platform of choice? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn for sure. I am, um, you know, it's funny. I'm definitely, I, I'm 46. And I, I think there's a lot of people my age who are really into social media. But I somehow am part of the crew that is like a little bit anti-social media. I have an Instagram, but I've never used. So they can't find me there. The Nail Saloon has an Instagram, of course, um, which is at the Nail Saloon. I am on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook. I joke that Facebook is my Rolodex, so I don't use it tons. But people can reach out to me um, on, on LinkedIn, and they can also email me, Andrea at thenailsaloon.com. I respond to every email I get, even if it's 400 emails from clients, which sometimes also happens, um, because I believe that communicating proactively can save you a lot of problems down the line. That's awesome. So one last question. What's the, what's your, what's the future for the nail saloon? Where are you, where are you taking this thing? <laughs> So I was actually talking to um, my legal team yesterday about what I can and can't reveal. A lot is about to go down <laughs> that I can't really share just yet. Um, but I will just say this, with every announcement of the big things that are happening, because a lot of exciting things are happening, about to happen, with everything that is going to happen, we're going to try to announce it in a really fun way. And we're going to do contests and put people on scavenger hunts around town to kind of see if they can piece together what we're telling them. Um, so definitely keep your eyes on our social media if you're interested in knowing. But a lot is going to happen for sure. The, the plan is to scale. So we're working very hard to make sure that we can. Fantastic. Yeah, so make sure you follow the, is it at Nail Saloon? Yeah, the, it's Instagram? at the Nail Saloon. The, the Nail, Nail Saloon. saloon. Yep. And all that detail will be in our show notes. So those of you who are trying to write that down or type it into your computer, uh, just scroll down. You'll see it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, Andrea, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation and keep out, keep going on the good fight that you're fighting. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun and I look forward to listening to more of your episodes. I've heard every one, so I'm excited to hear the one that comes after this one. Please uh, send me your feedback too. I'd be interested to yeah, know yeah, how I can improve. Be glad to. All right. Well, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Great to see you. Likewise. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. 
walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.